Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. We are, as Ryan said, in the Advent season, and so it's the anticipation of we know it's Christ who's coming, Jesus stepping down, filling our life with hope and life. And so... Um, we were really praying into what this season would look like for us. We were like, Lord, what do you, what do you want us, what's on your heart for our heart for the people today and throughout this month? And we really felt this word um, about talking about the names of God, like developing a rhythm this Advent, crying out, praying to these names of God that we see in Scripture. And so we called this Advent series In His Name. And it comes from something that was stirring in us. In John chapter 17, Jesus is going to pray a prayer. He's in the last throes of his hours of his life before he's going to be arrested and crucified. But he prays this prayer, and he says these words. While I was with them, so Jesus is praying to his Father, he says, I kept them in your name. What a profound statement. I kept them in your name. There's something about what Jesus saw about the name of God that he goes, when they were in your name, I kept them in your name. And then he says this, which you have given me, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction. He was talking about Judas. And so here's the key in that though. He's going, I have kept them in your name. And you'll read a little language in that in verse 11 as well that goes, in your name was protection. I've protected them in your name. I've guarded them in your name. And so the name of God, and we'll find different names of God throughout scripture, they're important to know. Why is that? It's important to know the names of God because his name signifies his character. It signifies his strength. It signifies who he is. That's how we get to know who God is. And so we're going to talk about different names of God throughout this Advent season. Names are important. Amen? In the old days, especially in the Bible days, they would name specifically for, for reasons. There was always a reason about it. We've kind of lost that. We name our kids now just on how cool the name sounds, right? I've shared this with you before, like what's the popular names, how does it sound, what's it sound like. When Christy and I started having our babies, our oldest is 18 now, when we first started having our babies, I remember very specifically, Top Gun was it. And what was the name in Top Gun? Maverick. Come on, every father in here. Who did not want a Maverick or a Goose in your home? Iceman? No? Okay. So literally... I had this desire. I remember we, Chrissy's like, I'm pregnant. And I go, we're going to name him Maverick, right? And she goes, no, we're not. And I thought, Maverick Wallace. That just sounds incredible. So she shot me down on that one, right? So then there was another popular movie, Rambo, First Blood. I think, I think it's Rambo 10 now, but Rambo First Blood, right? And I thought, Rambo First Blood Wallace. Like, that could be the middle name. <laughs> Literally, going to my wife, I go, what do you think about Rambo? You shot me down with Maverick. What about Rambo? And she did not bite on that one either. Interestingly, she goes, what if we have a girl? Rambi? Sounds like Bambi. <laughs> I mean, I was working whatever it would take. All I cared about, I didn't care about the symbolism of the name. I cared about how strong it sounded. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then I've told you I, I love uh, bull riding, eight seconds. Uh, Lane Frost was in that, right? And I remember Tough Hedeman. Let's name our kid Tough. And all of our kids have teen names. I'm like, surely she'll go with this one. Shot me down on that one too. Didn't get any of them. Love my kids' names, by the way. They're beautiful, okay? 
but I didn't get any of the names I wanted because all I cared about is how they sounded. They sound good. They sound tough. They sound, you know, whatever, the popular names of the day. That's how we named kids in our days, but what you'll see in Scripture is they actually cared about their names. Like, I'm talking like what the meaning of it. It had deep meaning to it. For instance, Jabez, Jabez in Scripture, the name Jabez meant I bore him with pain. So Jabez means painful. Any women have kids that you're like, yeah, they're painful, right? (laughs) Um, Lazarus, Lazarus' name means God has helped me. Lazarus was raised from the dead. God helped him, amen? So it's like these names had a significance. They had a story behind them. It talked a little bit about the character of what God was doing in those people's lives. Hosea, Hosea's kids, man. So Hosea is a great book of the Bible. It's to show God's unfailing love for us even when we've adulterated ourselves out there to other lovers. It's it's God's story of going, hey, even though you cheat on me, I'm going to always love you, right? It's a beautiful book. You should read it sometime. But in Hosea, he's married to a wife named Gomer. That's an interesting name. And he starts having kids, and here's a couple of his kids' names. One of the kids that he has, the Lord says to name them this name, and it means no mercy. And he's showing his story through this. He's showing his story. Another kid that he has, it's called Not My People. Not My People. So how would you like that name? You're Not My People, right? (laughs) So what you see is you see that like names had significance, and they were to tell a story. And so it's the same thing about the names of God. They have prominence and they have power. If you drop a name like Michael Jordan, everybody's like, ah, I don't Mike. If Michael Jordan showed up today, we'd be like, whoa, right? And some of you, some of you would not, right? If you said a name like Warren Buffett, you'd be like, whoa, wealthy. They, they, they have something behind their name. It's the same thing with the names of God. When you say a name of God, there's significance. It's his character. It's who he is. It's strength. It's power in his name. In fact, in Proverbs 18.10, let me just set this up. King Solomon writes these words, the name of the Lord, okay, the name of the Lord. So he's talking about the all-encompassing names of who God is, the name of the Lord, and then he likens it, is like a strong tower. The righteous person, the one who's been found by the Lord, the one who's running after Jesus, the righteous person runs to it, and what's it say? And, it, and is set safely on high. And so when we start to learn the names of God and starts to learn about his character and his nature, what we do is we find ourselves running to the names of God. God, you are. Lord Almighty, God, you are the great shepherd. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? So it draws us in. And so... The point is, to know his names is to know his promises, and to know his promises is to know that we are linked into those promises, and they never fail. So today, I wanna wanna talk about a name that we only see one time in scripture. Um, It's a name that we see one time, and I think it's a good starting place for us, because we won't know what reconciliation is, we won't know why redemption came, we won't know why, uh, why, why God came to restore us until we know this. And the importance is this, in this Advent season, before you know, his coming, before his redeeming, we have to first believe that God sees me. It's hard to believe that he's going to reconcile me and redeem me if today I don't believe that he even sees me. And the name that, that scripture talks about with the God who sees me is Elroy, or how we would say in English is Elroy, okay? Elroy or Elroy, it's the God who sees the God who sees. And so in the book of Genesis, this is where we get this from. 
what we find is this woman named Hagar. She is a maidservant to Sarah and to Abraham. And if you know the story of Sarah and Abraham, God comes, gives Abraham a promise. I'm going to give you a son. Um, it's going to be through Sarah. They're old. They're 80s, 90s, right? And so God says, I'm going to give you this promise. And through this promise, you're going to be the father of, of, of many generations, right? So it's the whole lineage of where Jesus is going to come from. And so what we see is this. In that promise, there's many years that happen, and Sarah's not yet pregnant. And what, do we ha- what happens when we have to wait on God a lot? Somebody say impatience. Anybody resonate with that? We get impatient, and when we get impatient, we try to help push forward God's promise in man's ways and not God's ways. So what happened was then Sarah's going, maybe God didn't mean me. I'm old. Maybe that's not what he meant. But my maidservant, she's young. She could be a surrogate for us. So she gets this crafty idea of going, I'm going to have my maidservant be our surrogate. She's going to carry our child. And then once that happens, then we're going to take that child, raise that child up in the promises of God, and we're going to get the promises like God said. Problem is, that's not how God said to do it. So what we see is Hagar is going to... Hagar's going to get pregnant, and she is going to now all of a sudden see Sarah begin to turn on her. And so Sarah starts to mistreat her. Jealousy comes over her. Genesis 16, 4, it says, and when she saw, so when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So all of a sudden, jealousy starts building up. So what even Hagar's idea, it was Sarah's idea, and now all of a sudden, she's taking the full brunt of this thing. And here's what we pick up in verse 6. Then Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and so Hagar fled from her. She ran. So I'm out of here. So she's pregnant. She's on the run in the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And here's what it says in verse 8. And he said, Hagar, that's key, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And look why. The angel Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Okay, so this is, this is the, where Ishmael comes from. Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your what? He's listened to your afflictions. He saw your heart. He knows what your struggles are. He knows what you've been going through. The Lord has seen you. It's a big deal. So verse 13, so she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. It's where we get the name, El Royi, or you are the God who sees me. And she said these words, truly have I seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Royi. Now, here's the thing about this story. There's so many parts of this story that you and I can resonate with, all right? There's so many parts that every single person in here can identify with some point, at some point in your life. Whether you've been in a wilderness. Anybody been in a wilderness time in your life? A season of struggle? Nobody wants to raise their hand in that one, right? You've been in a time of your life where you felt alone? Been in a time of your life where you've struggled, been in a time of your life where you felt broken, hurt, scared, not valued, feel like people don't even care about you. You ever been in a time in your life where you've experienced rejection, abandonment, being misused, being mistreated? All of those words are going to land on somebody at some point in time in our hearts. All of those. So all of a sudden we see this story isn't about Hagar, this story is about us as well. 
So there's something about this encounter, though, that changes everything for Hagar. She could have kept running. She could have been the lone pregnant woman running in the desert going, you know what? The greatest way I'm going to get away from this stuff is just to keep running away from it. How many of you guys have tried to run away from your problems instead of running to Jesus and they never got fixed? Because we think running away is going to fix our problems, and it never does. It never does. So the Lord comes, and he's going to give an encounter with her. He's going to change her life. She could have kept running, but he brought her to a place of realization. In my distress, in my affliction, in my hurt, in my struggle, in my abandonment, in my rejection, this God, this God sees me and cares about me. This is the starting place of hope on this Advent Sunday. The starting place of hope is to know that God sees us. If we can't believe this, it'll be really hard to believe that he can change us and redeem us. He sees you. Somebody say, he sees me. You ever grow up as a kid and your parents, you say, hey, God is watching you. And that was like a threat. It wasn't a beautiful thing. It was like, what you're doing, God is watching. You know what I'm saying? In fact, we would put these stickers up. You remember these stickers? <laughs> Saw that. I used to see those all over the place. I love those. Uh, actually, they're creepy. Um, but this is how we saw Jesus. We didn't see him as like, no, I'm watching. I love you. I care about you. I know your distress. I know your affliction. We would see the Lord is going, the Lord is watching you. And you're like, oh. It was like a fearful thing and not a he sees you. He knows you. He sees what you're going through. He cares deeply about your heart. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? This is a different deal. And so the problem is, if we know that he sees us, do we really believe it? And do we believe that he cares about us? Not for punishment's sake, but because of love's sake. Here's what he says in Psalm 34, 15. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Here's what he's pointing out. God sees you and he's attentive. Do you know what it means to be attentive? It means his ears are perked up. He's paying attention to your cries. He's not dismissing them. He's not casting them out. It says the Lord is attentive to your cries. That's a God who cares deeply about what's happening in your heart. It's a God who cares deeply about what's happening in your marriage, what's happening in your family, what's happening in your addiction, if you're running through addiction right now, what's happening in your darkness. It's a God who's attentive to you going, hey, man, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm El Roy. Psalm 33, 13, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Hebrews 4, 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So you got 8 billion people on the planet, billions of animals on the planet, and here's what God says, I see you. I see and care about you. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Hagar learned this life-changing lesson the day that she ran into the desert and God was watching over her. She had plans. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to be a pregnant, single mama on the run in the desert. And God says something profound to her. No, 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 stop for a minute. You're not going to be able to run away from your circumstances. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back, and I want you to see my blessing on you when you go back. And this is what we'll see from the life of Hagar. Even when she felt the most dejected, the most invisible, Elroy-E came to her. When she felt like she was overlooked and abandoned and betrayed, God's character never changes. Somebody say Amen. So if he did that for Hagar, what's he going to do for us? He's going to do the same thing for us. If he did that for Hagar, he's going to do the same thing. He's a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If his blessing was to look at this woman in distress and say, I see you, his blessing is for you and I to say, to say I see you. I see you. I see you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I see you. <clears throat> 
I want to I want to want to share real quickly just four ways that Elroy sees you, and then we're going to spend like I, I want to make sure I give us time. I want to pray to the God who sees me today. Can we do that? So number one, number one, I'm going to give you four ways that he sees you. Number one, everybody say he sees me. See, what we want to do is we want to say, well, he sees Tad because Tad's awesome. Tad's amazing. Tad's the most dynamo Christian I've ever met in my life. The guy knows the Bible like backwards and forwards. And so this is how we process life. We see people as like super good Christians and then people are like, ah, you're a little shady, right? (laughs) And so we see that in our lives. And so what we think is that God sees the super Christians, but he doesn't see the shady ones. You guys know what I'm talking about. The problem is I find myself in the shady category at times. Because God knows my heart. Anybody in? Nobody wants to raise their hand on that one. Okay. You guys know what I'm talking about, though. It's like, I want him. I want him. But there are times in my life where my heart gets wonky, and I run my own directions, and I'm like, no, I don't want to be obedient, and I don't want to sacrifice, and I don't want to lay it all down. And so God sees that, and he's not rejected by me. He actually wants to draw me to him. And so here's how we see it. We think, though, that when I'm in that state, God doesn't want to see me. He wants to see all the super-duper Christians. But that's not what his word says. He sees you. He sees you. He could single you out out of a crowd of 8 billion people and say, I care about you. Oh, that cry that you cried out from the darkness of your bedroom that night, when you think that I hear 8 billion cries, I heard that voice. That's the one I heard. That's why I'm here. Hagar, out of all the people that I could have come to in that moment, you're an Egyptian maidservant in the house of Abraham. I could have went to a 1,000 other people, but I chose to find you in the wilderness. I choose you. And as an individual, we need to know that he sees us. In scripture, he says he knows the hairs on our head. His thoughts about us cannot be counted. Some of us, the hairs on our head, like, like that's easy for him. Amen? <laughs> He's like, but you are, I see you. I know you. I see everything about you. My thoughts about you, you are worth more than anything. Read Psalm 139. We don't have time today. Read Psalm 139. David's going to go, you know my thoughts before I say them. You know what's on my heart. You know my words before I say it. Everything about you, you know me. And then he's going to go, I can't even get away from your presence. Where will I go? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the place of the dead, sure, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. If I've got wings and can fly, you're there. I cannot flee from your presence. Why? Because you see me. He sees me. And so Elroy E. is personal. He's not just a God who sees everything. He's a God who sees me. That's why she says in, 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 in Genesis 16, that's why she says, you saw me. You saw me. He says, I saw you in your time of affliction. In Matthew 10, we read um, about how he sees, he knows the hairs on our head. He says, therefore, are you not more valuable than the many sparrows? He talks about our value. He's like, look, out of all the billions of creatures out there, are you not more valuable to me than them? In in, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is an infinite value. He has infinite value, amen? And he says, we've been created in him, which means this is the value that he's placed on you. He says, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That's how much you are seen by God. Number two, real quickly, Elroy means that he knows your name. He knows my name. Come on. He doesn't just see me, he knows my name. How do I know that? Because this is what Hagar experienced. Hagar's most of her life, what you'll see is that she felt devalued. In fact, if you read the scriptures, it's usually the maidservant of 
of Sarah, the maidservant of Abraham. That's how she's labeled, just the maidservant. That's it. Then all of a sudden you get to Genesis 16, and now there's a name attached to it, Hagar. And this is why this is important. Hagar probably grew up most of her life going, this is my worth, this is my value, this is all I'm good for, I'm demoralized, I'm pregnant, and now I'm a maidservant, and nobody even wants me. And all of a sudden, in Genesis 6, 18, uh, 16, 8, the Lord shows up and says, Hagar. He didn't say, hey, maidservant, hey, surrogate mama. He didn't say those things. He said, Hagar, he knew her name. Hagar, servant of Sarah, before you were ever a servant of Sarah, I knew your name. Where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing from my mistress. Scripture says these words in John 10, 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them by name, and he leads them out. Isaiah 49, 16. This is profound. Behold, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. Do you know how cool it is that he says, I've engraved your name on the palm of my hands, not just written your name? Because to write something, I don't know about you, if I write something on my hand, I wash my hand, what happens to it? It's gone. When you engrave something, it means it's cut in. You can wash it all day long, and it's engraved in that thing. The Lord goes, this is how much you mean to me and how much I care about you and how much I care about your name is I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand. He cares about permanence in your life to know that he sees you. Hagar gives God the name here in this place. She says, you are Elroy, you're the God who sees me. Do you know that she's the only person in the Bible who puts a, a personal name to God? You're the God who sees me. Not the God who sees all of us. She didn't know that. She didn't know much about God in this moment, outside that he's the God of Abraham and Sarah. She has an encounter with the Lord, and her first response isn't, you're the God who sees everything, which is true. She goes, you're the God who sees me. You called me by name. I don't know where you've been at in, in your life, or if you've tasted this, or if you know what that means, but he's the God who sees you. I, I remember... Um, it was this, I think it was this past summer, Jacob Hall, he's our youth pastor. He's got three beautiful babies, another one on the way. Um, Emerson, little guy, and Lily, his next one down. I remember he had been gone to youth camp um, for, I think it was two weeks in a row, middle school camp, high school camp. And so Jordan came up, and the kids run in to see their daddy, and he's got a thousand things to do. He's trying to unpack the cars and everything. I remember Emerson. Emerson was running around going, Daddy, look at me, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, just, whew, hang on. Little cramp. Um, but he was like just doing these little weird like, like things. And, and I'm just kind of laughing as goofy for a minute. But as I watched him, daddy, watch me. Daddy, look what I can do. All he cared about was that his daddy would look at him. And then his sister caught on, Lily. She goes, look at me. Or whatever she was doing, right? It was beautiful. His son just wanted daddy's attention, and his daughter just wanted daddy's attention. So Jacob's got a thousand things to do, and he just puts it all down. He's like, good job, buddy. Good job, sis. And he pours his life into his kids. Here's why. Because when you were a kid, that's all you wanted. You just wanted somebody to see you. You wanted somebody to see you and say, hey, great job. You wanted somebody to see you and say, awesome job. That's what you wanted. Look, as adults, we don't grow out of that. You just try to find that validation in your jobs or your marriages. You try to find that validation in your friendships. You try to find that validation with your buddies. You want somebody to see you. You care about it. Why? Because it's ingrained in our heart from the God of the universe that he says, you are people to be seen. You are people with value. 
You are people that I care about. And so this is that heart of going. He sees you. He knows you by name. And then it says, um, El Roy, he's the God who knows your situation. I love this. He's the God who knows your situation and knows how to bring you out of it. This is why she says in Genesis 6.13, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. He's looking after her. Listen to this. In Genesis 16.10, he says, return to your mistress and submit to her. Like, that's a, who wants to do that? God, why don't you just take my mistress out, right, or whatever? Like, why don't you just take Sarah out? He says, return to her. He has a blessing in her obedience. And the blessing is she's going to come. She's going to give birth to a son named Ishmael. And because of that, he's going to grow up under this household of Abraham. And one day when they leave, and there will be a time where they get sent out and they have to leave, Abraham sends a bunch of wealth with her. Had she been running alone as a young mama in the wilderness because she was trying to run from her problems, she would have missed out on the blessing that God had for her if she came back and said, he has me, he sees me. We can't run from our problems. God had a different plan for her life. He's the God who sees me. And he says these words, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. God knows where you're at. He can find you where, if you're in the wilderness, you're like, God, do you see me here? He found her there. He knows where you are. If you've spent your whole life running from things that are uncomfortable, running from things, and and you're going, man, my marriage is uncomfortable. I want to give up. I'm going to run from it. My job is uncomfortable. I'm going to run up. My life is uncomfortable. I'm going to run, run, run away from it. Listen, this is what the Lord is saying. No more running. Just stop for a minute and know that he is Elroy E. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who sees you. Stop running and know that he has a blessing. Stop. He sees you. He has a plan. Stop. He sees you. He has a purpose. Stop running. Amen, church? Life throws so many things our way, and yet he's still there. In the darkest times, he is that hope that's illuminating your path. Um, real quick, number four, um, Elroy E. He's the God who knows your needs. Does anybody in the house have needs? Two of us. Amen. Um, <laughs> And the rest of you have lots, apparently. Um, we all have needs. We all do. We all have these desires in our heart. Look what he says in Genesis 16, 11. Uh, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. There are days or days that are coming or days that are behind you where you've walked through affliction. You've walked through hopelessness. You've walked through darkness. You've walked through those things. And yet in that affliction, God knew exactly what you needed. And here's what he's showing you. His fingerprint is all over the place. And this is what I believe in this Advent season he wants us to see. Like when we make light of things like, yeah, I know I've got food in the cupboards and I've got a warm house to go to. I know I've got a car to drive. I know I've got a family that loves me. But good night, those are just small things. No, they're not. Those are massive blessings. And every day God sees you, and every day God knows you, and every day God sees your heart, and he's going, man, if you were to to mount up, if you were to stack up all of the blessings in your life, you would see that they would way outnumber all the afflictions in your life. I love this quote. God doesn't always have to part seas. He can provide shelter, food, friends on a sunny day, and that's his fingerprint. And so in our most difficult times of need, just like Hagar, we see the fingerprints of God all over our life. It may be the random text from a friend, a stranger saying something just super profound to you. It could be a friend calling you out of the blue. It could be God's way of just giving his heart to you, saying, I see you. If you were to probably sit down and think about it, how many times have you thought, man, what a random conversation? It probably wasn't random. It was probably the Lord's fingerprint going, I see you. 
So here, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to pray. Um, I want to pray to El Royi today. I want to pray to the God who sees me. If this is you, and this challenges you, like, I feel unseen, God says, I'm going to see you today. I feel forgotten about, God says, I'm going to seek you out today. I feel lost, he says, today I'm going to find you. I feel unloved, today I'm going to lavish my love upon you. Scripture says that he seeks and saves that we might be found and then we might find him. If you have trouble seeing your worth, your value, you have trouble seeing beyond a betrayal, you have trouble seeing beyond darkness right now, you have trouble seeing beyond an issue that's going on in your life, today I just, I want to cry out to El Royi. When you feel the most invisible and forgotten, this is the time to remember what Hagar encountered in the wilderness. She found the God who sees me. He heard my affliction, he heard my cry, and he cares deeply about my heart. So I'm just going to open up the altar. Uh, you can make your seat an altar. You can stand. You can sit. I don't really care. But what I do care is this, that you'll take a moment and cry out to El Roy. And if, you, if that's hard, you're like, El, El what? El Roy. Like Elvira, but El Roy, okay? Only not Elvira at all. It's El Roy, okay? El Roy, you're the God who sees me. El Roy, you're the God who sees me. I just want to cry out to that. I want to call on his name and... Uh, and we're going to sing this little chorus about opening the eyes of my heart. So, Father, today, somebody in the house feels unseen. Somebody in the house has felt this tension of, like, an unjust situation, a difficult situation, a dark situation. They felt betrayed. They felt abandoned. They feel dejected. They felt devalued. Today, Elroy E., will you come and sit heavy on their heart? Elroy E., the God who sees me, will you come and just sit heavy on our hearts and let us know that wherever we're at in life, you see me. You see my marriage. You see my brokenness. You see my job situation. You see my finances. You, you see me and you care. Come and find us, El Royi, today we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. Until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.